And as you do, turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, going to be reading verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 9. We begin a new series on the book of Nehemiah. We're not going to be covering the entire book, but we'll take five weeks as part of our A Great Work Capital campaign. Look at the work of God through Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkaliah. Now let me stop here and give just a little bit of background uh, to help understand what's going on here. We've, when we last left the Israelites in the book of Exodus, uh, they had just uh, cut a covenant with God. And uh, the blood of the covenant had been splattered on them. And they said, we will abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And God showed up in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was enacted and God tabernacled among them. He, he was present in the holy of holies, most especially on earth. And the people camped around the, the tabernacle. And then later... When they came into the land of Israel, they had, of course, the temple, and they had the Holy of Holies, and the presence of God, especially their dwelling among his people in the city on which he placed his name, Jerusalem. And uh, unfortunately, the Israelites uh, failed to obey, and there were covenant curses, and part of the covenant curses were that they would go into exile. Uh, they committed idolatry, they committed other sins. Injustice, and God sent them to Babylon. After being in Babylon, they repented. God had promised his people if they repent, call out to him, he'll answer them and will bring them from exile. In fact, they, he did that. So a group came from Babylon, now in control by the Persians, and they went to uh, Jerusalem and, and Judah, and they inhabited the lands there. Um, and then we have a king by the name of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes fits into, our, into the book of Nehemiah and into our passage today. And Artaxerxes was a Persian king. And um, he was petitioned by people in the area of Judah uh, that were not favorable to the Israelites. And came and said, these Israelites are a bunch of troublemakers. And they're trying to rebuild their city, their capital. They're trying to rebuild their walls. And you need to stop this because uh, they're going to be nothing but trouble. And so he, in fact, did that. He uh, made an edict that they must stop their work. So there are the Israelites. Some of them are back in the land of Israel. Well, then a second group go. And this is where we get the book of Ezra. And so Ezra and others go back to Israel, the second group, and, uh, and not long after they went, then Nehemiah, who is in uh, the capital, the, 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 um, the winter capital of the king um, in Susa, uh, gets a report from exile, from the people that have returned from exile about Jerusalem, right? So that's where we find ourselves in Verse 1, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, 
The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you your dispersed be under the farthest skies, your, uh, I will gather you from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I had asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. It's October 10th, 2018. After the hurricane had passed, I uh, got together with uh, Dave Smith. Dave and Dee live in our neighborhood. We're less than a, a mile from each other. And um, 
Dave had gotten a text message just before his cell phone service went out, and it was a picture of our sanctuary. He had received that from a, uh, a friend of his, uh, a worker, co-worker from Tyndall, and uh, he had in turn received this from a police officer who was in downtown Panama City at the time, uh, immediately after the hurricane, and there was a disturbing picture in front of me, and that was our sanctuary without a roof. And you might imagine that was quite disturbing, and yet there was nothing uh, to be done on October 10th, and so I talked to Dave, and we determined that we were going to go on October 11th as soon as we could to try to take a look at our uh, church. And so we did that. We went around the down power lines, we went around the down trees and the power poles, and we made our way to downtown Panama City. There's nobody there. We got to the church. There were two uh, French um, newscasters, news people, that were there covering the hurricane and wanted to follow us around. We went inside the sanctuary, and it was, uh, it was eerie because it really had little effect to it. The ceiling at that point was basically intact. Uh, we knew that was uh, false hope. It wasn't going to look good for long. We went then into the Lauren Miriam room and the Sunday school wing, and that's where things looked really bad. And in the middle of the Lauren Miriam room was a, an air conditioner uh, duct that was fallen completely through the ceiling into the room, and the room was in shambles, and we went upstairs, and the, the roof was gone, and there was uh, um, ceiling. What was left of it was, was all on the ground, and there was insulation everywhere, and there was water everywhere, and it was a total mess. We went over to the social hall, went inside the social hall. The, the northern part of the, the roof had been, had been ripped back, um, the drop ceiling was completely down. Lights were dangling. Uh, we went to our preschool next. The windows had been blown out from the north. Uh, the, it was completely destroyed in there. We went into the, um, the, um, the old school building, the education wing. And um, I had placed uh, my most precious books, the ones that I refer to when I study for sermons in the in the uh, hallway there, thinking that would be the safest place for them, and the hallway was a river. Uh, the, the roof had been peeled back again from the north, and so there, the whole thing was uh, destroyed. And so I went, I went back home that night, and like many of you did, you know, no electricity, pitch black at night, opened your windows, uh, listened to the sound of uh, generators, and uh, tried to go to sleep. I, I don't know if I cried that first night, if I wept like Nehemiah wept. I don't know when that happened. I did. Uh, but I was certainly in mourning, and I was thinking, what in the world are we going to do? The, the need was overwhelming. And Nehemiah is dealing with the same thing. He's hearing this report back from Israel, and evidently uh, emboldened by the king's edict to stop work on rebuilding Jerusalem, the, the people who opposed the Israelites came and began to tear the defenses of Israel down. They burned the gates. The walls were be, uh, becoming increasingly unstable and unusable. And so uh, Nehemiah was in mourning for the safety and for the progress of Israel. The, the temple had been rebuilt at that point, but the city was completely defenseless. 
So we find ourselves here uh, in many ways relating to Nehemiah and what was going on. And so uh, it says here, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so what do you do in the face of an overwhelming need? In Nehemiah's overwhelming need, in Israel's overwhelming need, in our overwhelming need, uh, we pray. Nehemiah prayed. And what we're going to learn today is the importance of prayer and some valuable lessons in prayer from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Several different things we will learn. And the first is that it takes committed, long-term prayer, calling on God to do a great work. It's a passionate, highly committed prayer over a long period of time. Now, unless you do the math and look at the the first portion of chapter 1 and the first portion of chapter 2, you don't realize that there are about four months that pass before Nehemiah goes to the king and petitions the king. He spent a long time praying and asking God uh, to hear his request and to do a great work and uh, to restore uh, the walls in the city of Jerusalem. And um, we do the same thing. Uh, We've been praying uh, for over a year that God would lavish his grace on us, provide us everything we need for the rebuilding of our buildings, and we continue to pray that he would do that. And I would continue to encourage you as a congregation that we should pray that God would meet our needs in rebuilding our sanctuary and our Sunday school building, this great work. Uh, It is an overwhelming job, and yet God is greater than any need that we or anyone could have. So we move forward in faith, asking him to be at work. And we're encouraged as we see the success, as we see rebuilding taking place. Secondly, we pray to God regarding our relationship. We keep our relationship with the Lord in mind, and we ask him to keep his promises. We find Nehemiah praying, In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5, I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He goes on to say that, God, you said that if we repent of our sins, you will bring us back into the land. And he called on God to keep his promises. We have a covenant relationship with God Through faith in Jesus Christ. The blood of the new covenant has been shed in the blood of Jesus Christ for you and for me. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, we are in that covenant relationship. And the Bible says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, give us all things? That we have a God who has given us amazing gifts in eternal life and reconciliation with him and forgiveness of sins and to know a a perfect uh, new heaven and new earth and we look forward to that and so if he if he's already given that if he's already promised that if he did not spare his son will he not also along with him give us all things and so we we go to God and we pray God give us good things And that includes the rebuilding of our sanctuary. We're not asking for for personal wealth. We're not asking for personal fame. 
We're asking that the work of the Lord would continue through the rebuilding of our church buildings. Hebrews 13.5 says, quoting the Lord, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Jesus Christ encouraged us to pray in this way, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Go to God. Go boldly before the throne of God and pray that God would keep his promise to do good to his people, to provide for their needs and to provide for the needs of our church, that we might continue to progress for the gospel ministry. Thirdly, thirdly, we learn from this text is that we are to pray throughout each day. So we pray over the long haul, but during the day, we pray for God to do his great work in rebuilding our facilities. We read this in Nehemiah 1.6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. I've known some ministers that make it a practice to specifically set aside three times a day to pray. They pray at a particular time in the morning, then they pray about lunchtime, and then they pray sometime in the evening. And uh, you might want to try that, or really, what we learn from this is that this is something, it's not an obsession, we're not breaking the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment to covet. We hold on in faith and ask God to do what He would do, um, anticipating it, but at the same time, we have this regularly on our mind where we will bring it up during the day and ask the Lord to do his great work in us and among us and even rebuild our facility. There's a mention here of fasting. I don't know if you've ever fasted before and if you haven't, I might encourage you to just start maybe with one meal and during that meal, set that, side of time, that time aside to pray specifically for our church and the rebuilding of our church. Oftentimes uh, in fasting, one of the benefits of fasting is when you have your hunger pangs, it reminds you, and it reminds you to pray. And so perhaps use that as an opportunity to do that. Fourthly, we should pray prayers of repentance where appropriate. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. God enacted those covenant curses. They were scattered 
among the peoples. Now, in terms of Hurricane Michael, I've heard two false statements about God and his dealing with Hurricane Michael. And the first is this. God had nothing to do with Hurricane Michael. Now, this is often by well-meaning people that are trying to let God off the hook, right? God had nothing to do with Hurricane Michael. That is not true. The Bible says that God is almighty. God is in control. He foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. God is not, Hurricane Michael is not out of God's control. Secondly, though, people say that God brought Hurricane Michael to you as a punishment for your sin. You've received difficulty through Hurricane Michael. It's the opposite extreme. And I would say, unless somebody has a particular gift of prophecy and God has given them specific information about a specific person and a specific event, uh, then I would say, um, how do you know? Because there are lots of reasons given in the Bible for difficulties that we face, not the least of which is Adam and Eve's sin, the fall back in the Garden of Eden, God responded by cursing the earth, and there were thorns and thistles as a result. There were tornadoes and hurricanes and fires and all kinds of things. We live in a fallen world. And in addition to this, um, there are other reasons for difficulties in our lives. But let me just say this, as I have said from the beginning, let's not waste our hurricane. Let's let this be an opportunity for us to do some soul searching, to ask ourselves, where am I, Lord? Where do I need uh, to, to change and repent and grow? And uh, the wonderful thing is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then God does not deal with you uh, by dishing out justice in your life. And I want to say to you, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, please, I implore you, put your faith in him. Acknowledge your sin because there are wages associated with our sin. And somebody's going to pay those wages. There will be a judgment day. But the Bible says that the good news of the gospel is God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the just punishment for our sins. And that if we place our faith in him, we receive grace. We receive a gift. The gift of forgiveness and eternal life and his perfect record is credited to our account and in God's eyes we're holy and perfect and right and reconciled. And so God deals with us how? He deals with us like a father. And the Bible says that any difficulty that we experience in our life, that God, who is sovereign over difficulty, sovereign over all of the events of our life, will turn that for our good, and one of the ways he turns it for our good is through discipline, helping us to become more like Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's not for a specific sin that God uh, brings difficulty in your life. Nevertheless, through the difficulty, he's maturing you. And so when parents, parents who are good, parents who love their children, um, they discipline their children not to mete out justice, not to put them in jail, but to free them so that they might grow and they might become more mature. They might be more equipped to deal with life. And we have a loving Heavenly Father. He's got a plan in your life. And His plan in your life, even through the difficulty of Hurricane Michael, is to do good things and to 
bring maturity in your life and to bring freedom ultimately. So let's take the time and be willing to pray where appropriate prayers of repentance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as a result of this relationship that we have with the Lord, we come to him and we pray for the success of bold action. We as a church are seeking and have been seeking to take bold action to restore our buildings. Nehemiah was seeking to take bold action in order to restore the city of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. And he was praying to God that God would answer his prayer as he set out to take this action. And we read here Nehemiah's prayer in verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And this man is Artaxerxes. God had in his providence placed Nehemiah in this very significant position as cupbearer. And a cupbearer to the king was a very important position. Part of that was to be the wine taster and the food taster and to make sure that nobody was poisoning the king. Um, But oftentimes, cupbearers had quite a bit of status in the royal court. And they were thought of very highly. And they had to have the utmost trust of the king. Nehemiah was going to go to the king with a bold ass. And keep in mind, he spent months praying for the Lord to answer his prayer. The Lord gave him wisdom and insight and direction, and he prayed for opportunity. He prayed that as he acted, that God would answer his prayer. And oftentimes, God answers his prayer in our life by our action, in part. And that's what we have happening here, beginning with chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 12th, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Now, why would Nehemiah have been afraid? Well, there's different theories, but one is it's not, it's not good for your health if you're the cupbearer of the king, if you come in the king's presence and you don't look happy. You know, it's supposed to be happy, 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 you know, when you're in the presence of the king. And to look sad uh, could be uh, detrimental to your career or your life. Uh, that is one explanation. The other one is what he is about to ask the king. Keep in mind, 18 years before... The same king put a stop to the rebuilding of the walls and the gates. He's about to ask him to undo what he did. So, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now, again, look at the the wisdom and the diplomacy of Nehemiah there. He doesn't say, hey, of course I'm upset. 
you know, that edict you made 18 years ago has really messed me up and messed up my people. You know, why did you do such a numbskull thing? Now, he doesn't even mention the name of the city. He highlights who he is and what's going on in his life in hopes that his relationship with the king will lead to some kind of response from the king. And he talks about the city of my father's graves lies in ruin. And then the king says, what are you requesting? Right? He's not, he hadn't said anything. But he says, okay, what do you want, Nehemiah? And then what does Nehemiah do? We learn something else about prayer. So I prayed to the God of heaven, right? He's prayed for four months. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm ready to go. He's in the presence of the king. King says, what is it that you're asking? And Nehemiah says, okay, Lord, here we go. Here we go. Come on. Please, uh, please be with us today, king, with the king. And so that is a quick moment of prayer. So we pray over a long period of time, we pray throughout the day, and we pray at a moment's notice, in the moment, asking the Lord to act, to do a great work among us. So he makes this audacious ask of the king. He's got this, he's got this plan in mind, this practical plan. And as we've said, oftentimes God answers our prayers as he gives us opportunity to act and to, and to strategize. And he said, I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and the letter to Asaph, the king, keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Understand he makes three bold requests. The first is, King, would you please send me back to Jerusalem in order to start rebuilding the wall and the gates? And the king says, go for it. He goes, good. Since you've said yes, let me ask you a couple more things. Number one, will you send me an official letter from you giving me authorization to go through this place where we have this these governors and leaders that are opposed to what we're doing, I would like to be able to show them uh, that we are here under the authority of the king. The king says yes. He says, while we're at it, I would like you to provide for the rebuilding of the walls of a fortress that was evidently on one side of the temple. And by the way, my home that is going to be necessary for me to stay somewhere while I'm in Jerusalem. And the king says, yes. Amazing. He has a plan. It's an audacious plan. It's a bold plan. And the king says, yes. Well, we have a plan. We've been working on our plan for over a year now. You know, it began when uh, we got to the church and we had no cell service. And I began to hang out at the church 
uh, waiting for people to show up, and lo and behold, they did. And people would show up, and elders and deacons would show up, and then finally we got a little cell service, and we met, and we, we met together, and we prayed, and we asked the Lord to give us wisdom, and we got a, a, our contractor involved at an early stage giving us uh, wisdom. Uh, let me tell you, your, your pastor uh, was uh, approached by all kinds of people uh, with all kinds of ideas uh, that wanted to spend our money about uh, fixing our buildings, right? And uh, what do I know? So we got wisdom. Uh, in time, we got an architect involved. Uh, in time, we got a real estate agent involved in helping us to wisely understand how to deal with our assets. We looked at five different plans for how we might best use our financial assets and our uh, physical assets. And it was determined that the best way was to actually rebuild our building. We had four good walls in the sanctuary, and that was the, the best, uh, most cost-effective way of, of getting into a building that was of that quality that we should just rebuild. And on and on it went. We, uh, we, got, um, we decided how is it that we're going to um, deal with our financial need. We have this audacious need somewhere at this point, we'll, we'll know at some point with greater specificity, but $3.5 to $4.5 million going to be needed. We had a million dollars in the bank. Got about $950,000 if we close on the education building. Keep praying, folks, that that, that, that closes. Um, and then we got a, a generosity consultant involved. How do we go about uh, meeting some of these other needs? So first we go to the congregation. We share our need with the congregation. Then we go to those outside the congregation. After the congregation has had an opportunity uh, to pledge, to give to the capital campaign. So there's a plan there. There's, uh, there's an idea. So we in this capital campaign, a great work, are going to be seeking... Uh, to uh, our goal is for pledges over a two-year period of $1 million from within the congregation. And um, we are praying that God would provide in that way. Now, why are, we, why are we doing that? Why are we asking for pledges? Well, one reason is, uh, and I'm not an expert here, but we are probably going to ask for a loan. My understanding is that we stand a much better chance of getting a loan if the congregation has said, this is what we're pledging over a two-year period for financial outlay to the church from within the congregation. Secondly, though, as we go to those outside the church, we need to be able to talk to people and say, our congregation is willing to give to this work. They are invested in it. I'll give you just a couple of examples where we've seen this already the case as people have begun to give to us just out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, the um, uh, church in Seaside, the Seaside Chapel, uh, they came to us and they gave and they said, well, we're interested in possibly giving again uh, to your rebuild effort. So would you meet us at the, at the church site? And they came, an elder and the pastor came and we walked through and talked about our plans and and, um, uh, and they said, well, we, we might have some, a few questions for you later. And I said, thinking, I know what your questions are. And I said, so here's where we are as a congregation. The congregation, since the hurricane, has funded the work of ministry in our church at levels that they did 
before the hurricane. So our operating budget uh, that, that pays for uh, lights and staff and um, ministry and missions, um, that budget uh, is funded and has been funded by the congregation. Uh, through September, I can say, we are, we are just under $2,000 less than where we were last year at this time. Now that's pretty amazing for a church that has been through uh, the difficulty that we've been through. And so, thank you, first of all. But secondly, as I mentioned that to this, uh, to this church, they're like, oh. I said, yeah, this church is not planning on folding. We are involved in ministry. I mentioned the fact that we had to make a decision about a staff person, Heath Toss. You know, Heath, we, we committed to Heath in September, and then we had this little problem in October. And Heath was supposed to come in November. And the, the elders and the deacons said, no, let's move forward in faith. Our church is about ministry. And so we did. And God has blessed those efforts. And so this church was like, great, because we just left a church in Mexico Beach that wasn't sure whether they were going to continue or not. And frankly, we don't know if we should give money to them. So these, it, it gives credibility. There's a plan. This all gets back to this point that Nehemiah had a plan, God used that plan, God worked through that plan, and we have a plan, and we're asking God to bless that plan as well. And why was it that this plan was successful? This plan was successful because God was in it. We're not simply asking God to rebuild bricks and mortar. We believe that this is a platform for the ministry of Jesus Christ. The um, elders of the church have just approved this mission and vision statement for our church to reach and equip people in Bay County through reformed teaching and preaching, fellowship, worship, and evangelism for the conversion of the lost to faith in Christ. And our vision is to use a restored and refreshed First Presbyterian Church a First Presbyterian Church home as a launching pad for vibrant, reformed, gospel-motivated outreach in the heart of Panama City, Florida. We believe God has placed us in a strategic location for his purposes. And the Bible says that God tabernacled among us. He tabernacled among the Israelites in the wilderness and in Jerusalem. And so it was important that they rebuild those walls. But now, in the New Covenant... How is it that God tabernacles with us? It's through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 6 speaks of the, the building that God is creating. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so we are asking that the Lord would answer our prayer and do a great work, and that he would do a great work at this time so that not only for us, but for generations to come, people will come streaming to
to Jesus Christ through faith in him. And that God would use us in that way and would be pleased to use us in that way. And so that is our prayer. That's how we move forward. Now, how is it that we could anticipate success? Well, Nehemiah had success in these initial stages in his planning. And we read why. He says, and the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. It's not about planning not ultimately, it's, it's not about uh, Nehemiah's uh, political acumen. Um, it is about the hand of God. And because the hand of God was on Nehemiah and on his plans, it was successful. And so without God's hand in it, we will not be successful. But with God's hand in this great work, we cannot fail. And so we pray... Uh, We pray that God would do that. And so let us pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of the book of Nehemiah in the great work that you did in Israel. We see the beginning stages of that here and the success that they enjoyed at this stage. And we pray, Father, a prayer of thanksgiving, first of all, for the success that we have had in our stages of planning. And we ask now that you would stir in our hearts Um, that we might, uh, as your people, uh, be a part of this great work and that you would bless it in a great way uh, that people might come to know and believe and be nurtured in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.